Thank you, friends. Yes, we are in Mark 5 today, and after today, next Sunday, we're going to start a series in the book of Genesis. So we're going to study Genesis chapters 1 through 4. When I said we're going to study Genesis, I think one of the college students, remembering it took us two and a half years through the book of Acts, leaned over and said, well, this is going to be my entire college career in the book of Genesis. But take heart, we're going to do just chapters 1 through 4, and we're going to spend six months there. And I promise you, we will barely scratch the surface. So starting next week, we're in page one of our Bibles. And because we're headed to the Old Testament and because we're going to see Jesus as he is, the word that was there at the beginning, but not as clearly as the word made carnate, would you humor me this morning to, to linger a little bit longer with the person of Jesus incarnate among us? For this precious story, we may have heard a hundred times, but I want to hear it afresh again this morning. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 24, Jesus has been uh, called upon by Jairus, would you come, my daughter's sick, I'm the ruler of a synagogue, would you come heal my daughter? And as he's on his way, we pick up this story in verse 24. And Jesus went with Jairus, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray you would give us fresh eyes and fresh hearts to commune with Jesus this morning. Whether we come here and we know him and have walked with him for years and years, or we're here and this is a new thing to us to encounter Jesus either way, you are here in a special way where two or three are gathered in your name, you move among us, would you reveal yourself more deeply, more intimately, more joyfully because of our time spent together? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, it's interesting that when you come to the New Testament, you have four gospel accounts. So for the life of Jesus, four men sit down and each take a crack at recording the life of Jesus and When they make this record of his life, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we call the synoptic gospels, and they're very similar. So sometimes they, two of them will tell the same story. Sometimes three of them will tell the exact same story. And to me, that's a little frustrating because if I only get a thousand pages in my Bible, I want no repeats. I want to get new material. So don't just tell that story. Tell me a new story. But by God's design, that's the way it is. And so anytime you get to one of those stories, like the one we just read, which is repeated three times in our Bibles, 
I want you to picture the Holy Spirit leaning over you and whispering to you, I'm telling you a third time because you done missed it the first two. (laughs) I'm going to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until you grab a hold of the person you find in these pages and you make this story your own. So that's what we're going to do. If the Gospels linger here, we're going to linger here and we're going to wrestle with this story. Now, I want us to start with a woman, and I want us to start with just how desperate her situation is. We don't even get her name in the text. We're simply told what is wrong with her. She's introduced and identified by her disability. That's the thing that defines her right now, surely in her life, and now in the text as well. Look at verse 25. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and she had suffered much under physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. I read those two verses and I just start ticking off in my head what's wrong with her situation and what has gone awry here. And number one, this is not a problem, but she is a woman and this is a patriarchal society and that makes it a tricky place to get help. So number one, she's introduced as a woman to us. But number two, she's alone. Now you remember that killer story in the beginning of Mark where there's a paralytic and he can't get to Jesus because Jesus is in a house and there's a huge crowd around him. And what do his friends do? They grab him, take him up on the roof, make a hole in the roof, lower him down, and then he gets healed. And it's an incredible story of healing, but it's also an incredible story of friendship. And she doesn't have that. She's coming by herself. Where's her parents? Where's her husband? Where are her kids? Where are her friends? They're not here. She's coming all by herself. Number three, she's suffering. She has this bleeding issue. Commentators suggest this was a hemorrhage from a menstrual disorder. We don't know exactly, but clearly she is suffering from this thing, which means number four, she's unclean. She is ceremonially unclean. The Old Testament teaches us that if you had a bleeding issue or a disease, then while you had that, until you were made whole again, you were ceremonially unclean and you could not go into the temple, nor could you be in contact, physical contact with other people until you were clean. So we've had a small taste of isolation and quarantine as we went through COVID and and we know what three months can do to a person. This woman has been in quarantine for 12 years. Number five, she's broke. She spent everything she had. She has nothing left to spend, no resources to her name. Number six, she's out of options. She's gone to every physician she knows and doesn't know where to go next. Number seven, she's worse off than when she started. She might as well not have done anything that she has done because she's worse than when she began. And y'all, this went on for 12 years. This is 12 years of suffering. This is 12 years of misery. This is 12 years of unanswered questions, unanswered prayers, unbalanced checkbook. This is 12 years in the valley of the shadow of death. And I know you have been in that valley 
I know you have tasted the valley of the shadow of death. And what does that begin to do to a human heart and soul to to walk there without answers? Do you know the despair? Do you know the depression? Do you know the tricks it plays on your mind? Do you know how hard it is to get out of bed the next day and the next day and the next day when you are there in that valley and you feel no relief? Now, I know this is a beautiful story with a happy ending. Jesus is going to come in and save the day, and we're going to get to that. But this was 12 years. Where was God for 12 years in this woman's life? The Bible is not a fairy tale. It's not a happy-go-lucky storybook. It's not full of karma and the glass is half full. And if you do right by God, he's going to do right by you. If you're looking for a book with a quick quick resolution, then go get yourself some Gerald and Piggy books because everything gets resolved in like 10 seconds. But this is a big boy book with brutal stories and whole decades are missing from people's lives. So if you're looking for real hope and sustaining hope, not a nugget that will pick you up this morning, but something that will sustain you for the long haul, then you got to do honest work with real, broken, bitter stories in the Bible. That's this woman. Unnamed, unremarkable, unaccompanied, unseen, unclean, incurable, if I'm here this morning tasting any of, the, of this in my own desperation, I'm feeling things from without, I'm feeling forces press against me, whether it's what other people are doing to me or what consequences are doing to me or what my vocation is doing to me or I feel that desperation from within. It's what I'm doing and how I'm sinning or how my sin has consequences or what I'm suffering from within. Well, then I have just found a fellow soul in the text I found somebody who has tasted just a little bit of what I'm experiencing. And if I'm putting myself in her shoes, then I'm asking with her, what's a word from the Lord? What's the Lord trying to tell me this morning through this woman? Where do you go when you have nowhere else to go? And what do you try when you have already tried everything. And what door do you knock on when every other door has been slammed in your face? Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard the reports about Jesus. I can't begin to tell you how much I love that line and how much that has lingered in my imagination this week. The reports about Jesus. What were people saying about Jesus? What are people saying about Jesus? What do you first hear about Jesus before you actually get to meet him in person? What are the rumors swirling around about this man named Jesus. We can only guess, but surely she was hearing something about his teaching, 
I mean, anywhere he went and he taught, he left the crowd spellbound. They said, he's not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He teaches with authority and he left the crowds astonished. Surely if you're gonna say something about Jesus, you're gonna say something about his teaching and the disciples who say to him, where else can we go? You have the words of life. But I bet there were reports about his power. Yeah, he's a teacher, but he's a teacher with power. He has power over fevers and power over leprosy and paralytics and withered hands. A lot of these people are unnamed in scripture, but they go out with their healing and they tell people who tell people who tell people. And we know about this man who has authority over physical ailments and he has authority over demons. He can cast out a demon and tell it where to go and what to do. And we just found out he has authority over the winds and the waves. And it's so early in the gospel of Mark, we don't even know in the next scene that this man also has authority over death itself. He can raise the dead. This man has power. He teaches, but he has power. And surely they were saying something about his kindness. You know, he's different because he could dwell in important places surrounded by important people with all he says and all he does, but nobody's beneath him. I mean, he's with the poor and he's with the unclean, and he's with the marginalized, and he talks to Gentiles, and everybody we've forgotten, he remembers, and he moves among such people. Whatever these reports were, they were enough for this woman to hear that an unnamed, unremarkable, unaccompanied, unseen, unclean, incurable woman might find relief in Jesus. That's what she heard. That's what she knows. That's what the reports told her. And isn't that the precious good news of the gospel? You don't need a graduate degree in this stuff. You need to come to a point that you say to yourself, I'm not whole, and I wonder if Jesus can make me whole. And boom, we can work with that. That's all you got? We can work with that? You can bring those two loaves, and Jesus will do something with that? That's... That's where this woman starts. And even so, even if she thinks that Jesus is able to make her whole, you still have to admit this is a pretty pathetic effort in coming to Jesus, right? I picked that up in verse 27b, which says she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. So picture this woman, she's unclean and she shouldn't be here, so she's not gonna introduce herself to any of these people and much less Jesus. She slips in behind him. He's wearing the traditional Jewish garment that has tassels on it and she's muttering to herself, if I just touch that tassel, I'm gonna be made clean and I don't know if she thinks this is some kind of magic trick, but, but she's just wondering if she could get that much from doing that little and so she plans to just touch him and get out of there with her healing. So when I read the Gospels, and I think of all the come to Jesus moments, I'm gonna rank this one a three out of 10. Like this is a really sad effort. You know James and John, when Jesus comes and calls them, they leave the boat, they leave their dad, and they go and follow Jesus because they know he's a teacher who can teach them. That's a solid eight out of 10. 
You know the Samaritan woman that, that gets converted and then she goes back and brings her entire town to Jesus? I give that a nine out of 10. And then in Mark chapter five, what just happened with the demoniac, the man who's possessed by legion of demons, they're exercised from him. And he says, Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus says, no. So what does he do? He becomes a solo missionary in the Decapolis among the Gentiles. And I give that man as a 10 for 10 come to Jesus moment in the New Testament is fantastic. So you see why? Compared to those things, slipping up behind Jesus, touching his coat, and getting the heck out of there, I think three out of 10 is generous. I mean, I think I'm giving her more credit than she deserves. But I think her effort is so small because her perceived need is so small. I think if you would have asked this woman the greatest problem in her life right now, Don't you think she would say, it's my issue with blood? I want to be healed? So of course, if that's all she thinks she needs from Jesus, that's all she's going to Jesus to find. And when she gets it, she's out. Now this woman may have made a small effort because she was trying to get a small perceived need but we're about to witness a great and a lavish grace from Jesus. The moment this happens, he turns around and says, who touched me? Now, I don't know if this is part of Jesus's humanity. I don't know if he literally did not know because he was fully human who touched him and who, who, who drew the power out of him that healed this woman. But when Jesus says, who touched me, I can't help but think because I'm preparing in Genesis, Genesis chapter three, when God appears and says, where are you? Where did you go? And here Jesus before this crowd says, who is the person who touched me and got power? I want to see them. Now, The disciples begin to tell Jesus, it's a huge crowd, everybody's touching you. I like Luke because Luke fingers Peter and says it was actually Peter. Peter was the main one who said, Jesus, everybody's bumping into you. And the moment you find yourself mansplaining something to Jesus, you're probably off track, but they're trying to settle Jesus down. And Jesus won't be settled down because he's trying to set in motion this great and lavish grace that the woman didn't even know to ask for. That's what he's about to do. What did she come to Jesus for? She came for a healing, plain and simple. Stop the bleeding issue. Make me whole. That's all I want or I need from Jesus. Would you agree with me that she wasn't planning on introducing herself to Jesus, not before the healing and not even after the healing? There's no indication in the text that she would have of her own initiative said, hey, Jesus, by the way, that was me. I took the power. No, it Seems like she is about to slip out of there anonymously. And so wouldn't you agree that because she doesn't introduce herself and because she tries to slip away with what she has, that she thought her greatest need, she thought the only thing Jesus could do was to heal her body. And once that was done, she thought to herself, I can't think of another thing I would need from Jesus and I'm out of here because she doesn't know what she's missing. In other words, church, she wanted Jesus the power 
and not Jesus the person. She wanted to get something from Jesus, but she didn't know that she also wanted Jesus himself too. And she has that mentality, but that's not unique to her. That has been carried in ways and shapes and forms by every single person in this room, myself chief among us, being attracted to the things that Jesus can give us more than we are attracted to the person of Jesus himself. We can be in this place. We can be in our Bibles. We can throw up a prayer in the car before a big meeting for a million reasons besides this chief reason of Jesus himself. We are here for the healing. We're here for the peace of mind. We're here for the positivity. I'm here because I want my kids raised in the right direction. I'm here because I'm single and I'm looking for a spouse. I'm here because I have money and I need a tax deduction. I'm here because I want to get out of hell free card. I'm here because I want my parents off my back. I'm here because in the religious South, it still looks good to go to church. I can be here for a million reasons besides the one chief reason of a personal, vibrant, living, giving, taking, joyful communion with the person of Jesus himself. Are you guilty, saint? Are you guilty, visitor? Are you guilty, person, at the center of this church? Are you guilty as the person from the outside looking in of wanting things from Jesus without realizing the chief prize of Jesus himself? Well, take heart, because Jesus doesn't readily give his power without also giving his person. Now, this woman didn't know that, so she was ready to use Jesus for his power, get in, get it, and get out. But Jesus sets in motion this great grace that says, I'm going to give you my power, but I'm going to give you my person too. He calls out this woman. She identifies herself. She throws herself on the ground and said, I wasn't going to do this, but here I am doing this. I'm the woman. I'm the one that got the power from you. And by admitting that, we get to hear one of the simplest gospel presentations in verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now Jesus uses a Greek word that's being translated made you well. It's just one word. It's the word sozo. It's all over the Gospels and it has a rich double meaning because that word can mean to heal and that word also means to save. So it means to physically restore somebody, heal them, bring them back to wholeness in their body. But isn't it beautiful that it also means, confusingly so, to save and redeem and join a person to the living God? It can mean to heal and to save. This woman wanted a body made whole and she got a soul made whole too. So so. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. You brought a little bit of faith to the table and I brought my great grace. 
You were asking for one thing and I gave you another thing and your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I praise God that he will treat us this way. Whatever brought us in the back door anonymously to tug on the jacket of Jesus, whatever we thought our greatest need was and what we thought we needed from him and and what's gonna get me out of a pinch in the morning and what prayer request I'd love to have him answer and, and, and what kind of reputation I wanna build in this space. Whatever brought us anonymously in the back door, that's not how we're gonna leave in God's economy. He's gonna find us. He's gonna look upon us. He's gonna name our name and he's gonna say, son, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's grace to give us what we ask for and it's grace unimaginable to give us above and beyond what we could even think to ask or imagine. And that's what you've done in your person. So I pray that we would leave not anonymously, but but known and seen by you. And I pray that that would be the pearl of great price in our lives to treasure you, speak to you, hear from you, love you, live with you, walk with you, commune with you, even in the moments and the hours that remain in this day. We give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.